Lady Liberty, Uncle Sam, two figures who show up often as stand-ins for American politics in editorial cartoons and graphic narratives. But read between the images and the lines, and you can see how these symbols evolve when artists incorporate them to take on challenges of democracy. For artist Eric Garcia, based in Chicago, he brings these and other symbolic characters out in his work to engage nationalism and white supremacy. For his recent proposal poster, Monument to Lucy Gonzalez Parsons, he highlighted a historical figure worthy of more spotlight, Lucy Gonzalez Parsons, a labor leader and anarchist organizer from Chicago, whose impact on the history of labor is astounding. The five-day work week with the weekend, uh, these are all monumental laws that uh, we don't even realize. They're intricate in, in the workforce nowadays. And yeah, she was a heroine that a lot of people need to know about, and not many people do. The whole holiday of May Day was born out of right here in the United States, there in Chicago during the, that Haymarket riot, and, uh, and people don't realize that history. We speak to Garcia about Gonzalez Parsons, how we learned about her, and how we could better honor her legacy. Garcia's monument to Lucy Gonzalez Parsons is included in the Highline Joint Art Network's New Monuments for New Cities project. Over the last six months, Monument Lab has been research residents of this project, and we're speaking with artists from each of the five partner cities, New York, Chicago, Austin, Houston, and Toronto, about monuments, memory, and public space. I'm your host, Paul Farber, and this is Monument Lab. Welcome to Monument Lab, a public art and history podcast. Each episode, we explore stories and critical conversations around the past, present, and future of monuments. We speak to people on the front lines, building the next generation of public spaces through stories of social justice and equity. Here are the monumental people, places, and ideas of our time. Eric Garcia, welcome to the Monument Lab podcast. Good to be here. Thanks for having me. Glad to have you here. Can you share with us who Lucy Gonzalez Parsons is and how you decided to honor her in your proposal? Uh, Lucy Gonzalez Parsons is a really interesting historical figure that I've been kind of... uh, uh, enthralled with for for a number of years now, and I've done a, a number of projects using her as as a, as a uh, as a character um, or a persona. Um, she was born in 1853, and she uh, she passed away, and she lived a long life until until 1942. But she was originally from Texas, of a mixed race uh, um, lineage. Um, She's African African American. She's also Native American and uh, and also Mexican. And um, she eventually went on to to marry uh, Albert Parsons, who is a white man. And because of the the uh, situation and the times they were living in Texas in, in the uh, late eighteen hundreds, this kind of biracial marriage was was frowned upon and actually like dangerous. So they fled to Illinois and eventually landed up in Chicago. They're both uh, very. Uh, um, political and they were activists. They were also anarchists, and they believed in fighting for the 
rights of laborers and the, and the rights of, of uh, people who, who, who worked hard in this new mechanized industry uh, during that time in the United States. And um, eventually, uh, her husband Parsons was involved in the Haymarket riots, and uh, he was uh, he was hung during that situation. And uh, she went on, you know, to live a long life of of continuing to organize for the uh, labor rights that we still um, use today. Uh, you know, the eight-hour workday was was a direct. Uh, impact uh, and, and and something we we almost take for granted today but it was it was thanks to lucy parsons and the and the people that she was organizing with uh, made this great contribution to to not only our society but worldwide you know the the five-day work week with a the weekend uh, these are all monumental um, laws that uh, we don't even realize they're intricate in, in the workforce nowadays and yeah, she was a heroine that a lot of people need to know about, and not many people do. The whole holiday of May Day was born out of right here in the United States, there in Chicago during the, that Haymarket riot, and uh, and people don't realize that history. You know, people, a lot of people in the United States don't think of May Day being a un- United States uh, day of celebration, but it's an international day of celebration that was born in the United States. It's my understanding that in Chicago, there's a small memorial and park um, named for Lucy Gonzalez Parsons. As you were designing your proposal, were you thinking about places where she's honored? And especially given what you've just mentioned, which is many people feel the effects of her work, but don't necessarily know the story. Yeah, Unfortunately, she's a Chicago heroine, but not many Chicagoans know about her. And the few that do, um, you know, they they always wish others knew more. Um, there is a park. There's a little monument dedicated to her, and and it's and it's significant, but it's it's um, minuscule in contrast to how much she actually did. You know, not only in Chicago, but nationally and internationally. So with this new monuments project, I just wanted to expand what she did and who she was for more a broader audience to recognize who this important historical figure was. So with the cool thing about the monuments project is that we were given the task of um, creating an image that was going to be produced in a a two-dimensional form and then five different cities were going to reproduce this image in, in, a, in a number of ways. Some some cities did projections, some cities did wheat paste, some cities did actual little uh, two-dimensional light board. And I wanted Lucy Gonzalez Parsons' image to be plastered all over, you know, in these five different spaces, uh, five different parts of the United States for more people to understand who this person was. When encountering your poster um, in a few of the cities um, in which it was shown uh, as part of New Monuments for New Cities, I kind of immediately pictured it as a sculptural monument because here you have a figure who's shown larger than life. And at the same time, because of your practice as a cartoonist and as an illustrator, there, of course, are the imagined elements. um, And you've combined 
the hand-drawn image with photo collage. You know, when you were creating this, did you picture a sculpture in the traditional sense? Or was that too limiting of a form for you to imagine this monument? Um, Well, that was part of the challenge. You know, how do you create a monument? When I think of monument, I think of a three-dimensional object. And the the parameters they gave us, this was just an idea of a of a monument. This was just a two-dimensional illustration of what a monument could be. So, so yeah, I, I could, I could literally see this as a three-dimensional object. I could see this being built out of um, steel or metal that's, that's cut out, that's laser cut and has this, this exact image on it. So that that was in the back of my mind. Could this actually be a, a physical, uh, three dimensional thing that you could you could go up to and, and and walk around? And and then I, but because of the limitations, I I had to also render it and make it understandable that this is a, a two dimensional piece as well. And then when I was considering the style and how it was going to look, I was I was referencing a lot of these. Um, um, Soviet posters or, or socialist posters that I've that I've seen that where they use the many as the one, so they would photo collage like a, a horde or a giant mass of, of of people, and they would they would they would crop it into a, a larger image like a fist or a um, uh, a uniting symbol that equals a one. So so that's that's how I got the stylization of what I, what my poster is going to be like. So. If you look at the poster, it's Lucy Gonzalez, and um, and she's she's standing, and her dress is filled with an or, enormous amount of, of of people, and and all these are are, are uh, fellow uh, activists and friends that I know, and they're also historical activists from from back in the day that they're all combined in this in this um, uh, mass that that fills her her. Um, her dress that creates the that creates the, the, the population that creates the one the, the, the united figure of of Lucy uh, Parsons. You also have in this design two clocks, you know, that portray nine o'clock and five o'clock. Um, and of course, you know, you've made these connections with labor and the protections for workers. I was also thinking about the way that you know monuments are traditionally meant to be. Um, timeless, so to speak. And so the concept of time is something that you're playing with here. And and of course, the idea that a monument traditionally celebrates a figure, single figure who's isolated. And here you've included her legacy. Were these connections that you were trying to play out um, as you were thinking about this project? Yeah, it's She's kind of a uh, time traveler, if, if you will, you know, because her legacy still lives on. The, her, hopefully, uh, through this project and and many other uh, projects that that I that I know of that are trying to honor her in other ways, her legacy is still going to live on to the future and inspire more activists. So this is a person from the past who still has has tremendous relevance right now in this day and age. Um, so she she not only is, is is a part of the past, but she's part of the present, and hopefully continues to be part of the future as well. And yes, so 
if if um, you know, even if you see the different figures that I've placed the photo collage figures inside there, they're past and present. They're people from, you know, from the eighteen hundreds, and and there's and there's people from the present. So, yeah, all of that's that's part of it. And she has these four arms, so I wanted her to, to to be in in motion. So she's not she's not only stagnant, but she's she's moving in time. She's, she's, uh, she's doing multiple things at once. So she has, she has movement and, uh, and a timeliness that, that, that makes her active and not stagnant. So two of those arms are being thrust into the uh, gears of, of, of the machine or the mechanism that, that, that the industry is, is uh, pushing through. So she's, She's stopping the, the the gears. She's stopping the clocks. She's 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 creating a uh, a certain time for for leisure, maybe, or or for 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 the work to end. You know, that's that that eight hour uh, time period. And then her other arms, she you know, the ones above that, she's she's making like um, her her um, she's bending her arms and and holding her fists up to it. So she's showing her strength. She's like making a muscle with, with both of her arms. She's a strong woman, you know, physically and mentally. And then she's also the arms above those. She's breaking these these clasps of, of um, um, chains that are wrapped around her arms. So she's not only breaking this idea of, of, of capitalism or the workforce that controls uh, her, but also of who she is, of, of being a uh, uh, um, uh, a child of slavery you know she's breaking those chains of not only racism but but the uh, uh the industry that controls her of capitalism and then above that there's an even extra note of, of breaking of capitalism as she holds the dollar sign and cracks it in half so yeah so time has has is is very much relevant in in uh, in this poster when did you first learn about Lucy Gonzalez Parsons, and was it in uh, a school setting, or did you have to find out about her outside of the kind of traditional spaces of learning? No, it was definitely not in, in the school setting. It wasn't in, in normal curriculum, that's for sure. It wasn't until I, I moved to Chicago uh, much later in life, and began to learn about the history there and the, the different activist struggles and 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 finally someone told me about this this woman activist who was who was a big part of it and yeah so it wasn't in school when i where i learned about her definitely not as an artist you've worked in some really powerful ways in public spaces as a muralist but also as an editorial cartoonist and I'm curious for you, what opportunities does working in public space offer you? And what are opportunities working in that imagined space of an editorial cartoon? And how do you balance um, the parameters, but also possibilities of both? M murals and uh, political cartoons offer me two different spheres to work within. So they're both created similar as they both have um the capability of of um expressing my politics and my artistic vision a mural though is on a fixed position it's there on a wall in a certain 
building in a certain neighborhood. And it lives there in a public space. And what it allows me to do is, is, to let, is it allows my art to be um, free and public and out in the open. So you don't have to go to uh, pay uh, uh, entrance to a museum to see it. You don't have to go to a, a gallery. It's out in the streets. And hopefully what it's doing is teaching you about a little bit of history or some politics, right? So it's, it's doing this activism out into the streets. Now, it is in a fixed position, so you will have to go to it. Um, you can't take this, this wall to the next city over it and, and show uh, other people what this, what this wall or what this mural is, is, is telling you. Now, the political cartoon, it, it's more nimble in its, in its movement, but it is, it is uh, public as well. It is, it is in the printed uh, newspapers, and it's also in various platforms social media and, uh, and different posts on the uh, on the internet and my my ultimate goal in, in creating both of these is is to reach a broad audience i want people who um you know who are walking down the street and see that mural you know i don't necessarily only want people who agree with my politics to see this i also want people on the other political spectrum to happen to walk by and see this or I want people who do not know this history to walk up on the mural and find out something new, to find, a, find out a new perspective or a new part of the history that they weren't aware of. You know, some, sometimes, a lot of times, the history books that we read um, leave out a lot, especially in, in you know, primary education. So I want these, these histories and these stories not to be censored not to be uh, overlooked and that's that's why i'm doing these these types of um i guess you'd call it community outreach the 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 tricky part of uh social media with the political cartoons is now you can cater your social media so you can only get what you want so a, a lot of my political cartoons might not reach that opposite that opposite uh, political sphere that, that I might want to engage with but possibly in the newspaper it could you know because you, you can't I guess you can cater if you, you if you like to read <laughs> a, a right-wing uh, newspaper versus a left-leaning uh, newspaper but but hopefully you know whoever picks up that paper you could you could be in for a surprise of what you might find in the editorial political cartoons if you were to see uh, something I, I'm creating Something that I appreciate about editorial cartoons, but I, I, you know, I see playing out in your work is this interchange between actual people and the allegorical figures. You know, and I'm thinking about the ways that you've used Uncle Sam or the Statue of Liberty alongside um, U.S. presidents, border guards at the U.S.-Mexico border, and and others. I've always wanted to know, like, for from a perspective of a cartoonist, um, you know, how do you imagine the interaction between those, like, p actual people, or, or you know, the um, the interaction between people who are are living today and symbols that exist through time, but you know, clearly conjure a feeling or a place. Um, or even a mentality 
for those encountering it? I have a common cast of characters that I that I use in my cartoons. Uncle Sam and Lady Liberty being uh, two of the more frequent that I use. Uh, and I've developed personas with them. They're, they're my characters in my little theater of political cartooning. So the character of Uncle Sam, I often portray as like a right-wing conservative type of character versus Lady Liberty is a left-leaning type liberal and I often pose them as a um, domestic couple who are feuding with the polarities of the United States. Uh, usually Uncle Sam is, is usually harming or, or uh, doing something dastardly. And Lady Liberty is usually saddened or hurt by, by what Uncle Sam is doing. But actually, um, you know, these, these, men, these little characters change and have been changing. You know, the Lady Liberty used to be this great symbol of... Uh, hope and um, a great symbol of welcome to the United States for, for immigrants. And, and now, you know, with our current climate, that symbol is, is no longer thought of with her arms open, opened out to these immigrants. And I think that character is, 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 is now changing in my cartoons as well. I think Lady Liberty, her, her caricature has now become dastardly uh, in, in, the, in the Mexican uh, culture we have this um, crying woman called la llorona and she's a mythical uh, being that haunts the ditches looking for uh, for children and i think nowadays unfortunately later liberty has become this llorona they're crying and actually if we think about it she's she's looking for for kids to imprison and to capture if we parallel that with what's happening on the border with all the different undocumented kids who are being abducted by ICE and put into cages. So even in my, my own little theater of political cartoons, these characters are, 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 are morphing in, in, their, in their personalities. In the morphing of the Statue of Liberty in particular, I'm thinking about two of your cartoons that really stand out. One in which the figure of Uncle Sam... Uh, is kind of being exposed um, for his racism and personified by a tattoo across his chest that the, that the Statue of Liberty and it, and it looks like President Trump are revealing and with a look of astonishment from the Statue of Liberty, uh, if I read that correctly. And then, you know, I'm thinking of another one where the Statue of Liberty is um, kind of halting that figure of La Llorona uh, as a refugee. We're in a moment where it's so strange because the Statue of Liberty is many people have thought of of that as a as a monument to a welcoming country. And of course, when you look at the history deeply, you understand the exclusions built into the very space of that island. And we also are, are in a moment of where, you know, recently a, a right wing politician suggesting changing the poem um, on on the bottom uh, inscribed to the the statue, um, you know, as you are, as in your work, it it seems like the morphing of these, you know, symbols of Americana is something that you are pushing readers to think about, um, but not just the changing in the present, but also maybe the 
also the structures of white supremacy, of exclusion that were built into them from the beginning. Yeah, a lot of my my work deals with really harsh, critical critiques on, on the United States and what it represents. And when we think of these icons of the United States, for example, like the Lady of Liberty, these, these icons are, are losing the weight that they once had. These monuments are, are no longer representing ideals of, of, of what the United States claimed to, to, to always be. And maybe it never was. Maybe it was always just, just that, the American dream, right? Because we always thought of this idealistic understanding of what the United States is. Well, maybe it never was. Uh, we have such a fraught history. And when you really, really look at this history, it's so straught with uh, destruction, um, with manipulation, with, um, with tragedy. You know, these, these monuments, the ideas of the monuments just kind of break down. In your bio, you call attention to the fact that you identify as a teaching artist and that it's a core component of your practice. And you mentioned, you know, the colleges and universities that um, you've given lectures, but also workshops with youth in the Cook County Juvenile Detention Center. What kind of exchanges do you find when you're working with youth, especially when you're talking and discussing public space, um, or in the case of the Juvenile Detention Center, you know, public systems? It depends because I, I, I give a, a variety of workshops. It could be from like printmaking to creating murals to just learning uh, about Chicano art, you know. So it varies. It depends on what I'm, what I'm presenting. Um, when I'm like, for instance, this summer when I was doing a, a mural back in Chicago, we had, we had five uh, apprenticing youth. They were helping us paint this mural. And I always give them. Uh, a kind of art history lesson of Mexican muralism. And I want them to understand that this was a, a very long celebrated tradition that, 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 that came from, from Mexico and that they're not, they're, they are now a part of this legacy, that they have now the skills to go on and create their own murals and that they are now um, not only taking physical space uh, with their own projects on the streets or in their neighborhoods, but that that space is a responsibility. You know, you have a responsibility of, of what you're going to visualize for the world to see. If you're going to take up that amount of space in your neighborhood, what are you going to say with it? Um, and hopefully, uh, you know, they have the, um, the insight to, to, to use that responsibility to use that the, their their skills and their talents as as future muralists to uh, put something that's that's going to uplift the neighborhood, not to bring it down. So, I guess that's what what I try to uh, um, teach uh, whenever I'm giving any kind of um, lecture or presentation, whether it be on in, in the in the classroom or or even in the detention center working with youth youth there that they uh they have um they have power in in creating and for 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 putting images out into the world it's it's, it's, a, it's a responsibility what have you learned 
from some of the youth participants about public space or public history uh, or the convergence of those two? Well, right now there's a big uh, debate whether murals are helping or hindering. I know we had a big discussion with the last mural group we're working with because some of the youth were saying maybe these murals are enabling gentrification in their neighborhoods. This is always a, um, a critique on some of the, the uh, works that are going up in some of these neighborhoods, such as uh, the Pilsen neighborhood where I did this project, which is in, in the Chicago uh, uh, Mexican-American neighborhood that, and that, that, is, that has already been gentrified. It's, 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 it's changed dramatically even in the short time that I lived there. And the debate was what's happening um, with the neighborhood, with its changes, and are we helping those changes by beautifying it and making it more welcome for uh, welcoming for development and for outsiders to come in and to push uh, poor people out? And uh, and these are great great questions that need to be dialogued. Uh, Amongst amongst the youth, these are these are important questions to to be talked about. Um, in my perspective, gentrification is much more than just art. That these are these are well planned uh, endeavors made by the city and, and public pro- projects to uh, um, that are that are that are years in the making, even prior to putting a mural up. And and these are these are these are the bigger things that we need to be aware of that that uh, enables gentrification and, and enables the the loss of, of of communities. But these are great discussions that the youth bring up that that need to be talked about. And and they and by by, by these dialogues, they help me understand things. So my ultimate goal with any of my art projects is that these dialogues bubble up. So it's one thing that, that your art is on a wall, but are they talking? But is the art artwork talking to people? Are people talking about the artwork? Are people having serious discussions of what that artwork is or, or what the, the symbolism, symbolism is or, or what the critique is or what the history is? That's, that's the main goal of any of my projects, whether it be a political cartoon or a print or a mural uh, what have you, um, that these important dialogues are being discussed. You know, we heard from a, a previous Monument Lab guest, Michelle Duster, who is a descendant of Ida B. Wells Barnett, about her efforts to honor the memory um, and, you know, whether it's um, with the dedication of Ida B. Wells um, Drive or uh, a new campaign to build a monument for her in Chicago. Um, you know, there seems to be um, stories that have gone national related to the ways that Chicago is reckoning with public art. I'm also thinking about the um, Chicago uh, Torture Justice Memorial as well in this regard. From your standpoint, in valuing that idea of the conversations have to take place, or what are conversations that are happening in Chicago that may help us understand the complexity of public space and all these you know, legacies of exclusion that are now being called to task? Well, in Chicago, you know, 
I know there's a huge boom of murals going up. It's like there's for for one the, the neighborhood of Pilsen where where I was living, it's it was always known for being an an art community and specifically with murals because we have the legacy of the Mexican mural movement and we have uh, Mexican Americans starting their own mural movement there in Pilsen. We had uh, the Chicano murals uh, go up. We had new, newer generations of of uh, murals going up. So there's there's always a, a mural uh, uh, mecca to go visit. And now you know it's it's I wouldn't say trendy, but there's a, there's a big push that the city is involved in getting more and more murals being created uh, throughout the city. I know, you know, even downtown, there's lots of, of skyscrapers that are, that are now asking for for um, muralists to come in and, and do work. Right? If you go down, down downtown to Chicago, you turn down some of these, these streets and you'll see new murals pop up everywhere. Uh, even um, a couple of years ago, there was a specific grant called uh, the 20 and 20, and they, were, they asked 20 different neighborhoods in, in in the, in the city of Chicago to develop 20 different public art projects. And it was an, an explosion of murals as well. Um, I, I would ask that, you know, I guess what I would hope, I guess, is the bit, better question, that these murals are not, on, not only beautifying the city, because I'm sure that's what they're doing, they're, they're making things look nice, but... Are they also um, asking questions? Are these murals also um, giving uh, some history back to the community that may have been lost? Um, I guess what I'm what I'm saying is I wouldn't I wouldn't I would love for these art projects, these public art projects, not just to be aesthetics. Um, I would love these projects to go deeper and talk about some of these heavy things that we need to be talking about in this day and age. I guess that's 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 one of my ultimate goals, and I hope the conversation would be um, in along those lines to to not only have art for art's sake, but but have some some meaning behind it. Eric Garcia, thank you so much for your work. Uh, for your questions and for our conversation today. Thank you for having me. It's been an honor. Next episode, we speak with Regina Agu, an artist and researcher in Houston, to hear about Emancipation Park and her projects there to study and reclaim public spaces through memory, with and without permission. You can listen to Monument Lab and subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, and anywhere you listen to podcasts. And if you like the show, Remember to leave a rating or review. It really helps. The Monument Lab podcast is supported by the Cerdna Foundation. This podcast is written and produced by Paul Farber and Justin Geller. Designer and associate producer is William Roy Hodgson. Sound engineer, Justin Geller. Editorial coordinator, Steph Garcia. All music on the podcast is original by Mokita. I'm your host, Paul Farber. For more, visit us at monumentlab.com or find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook.